Thanks for listening to the Junior Ziggler podcast. If you are crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. Convicted child predator Jack Reynolds, you might have heard the name, infamous sick villain, was asked what sort of characteristics he looks for in a child before targeting them. And you might have seen this online or even on, in, in the TV uh, special. His reply, get this, more than any characteristic in a child, the first thing Jack Reynolds looked for as he targeted a child was the man in the house. If the man of the house was present and could pose a threat, he moved on. If the man of the house was not involved or was passive or walked around defeated, he closed in. Now, this is not to say that children who are molested have non-threatening dads. Most child predators are not near as calculated as Jack Reynolds. Most criminals are stupid. But as sick of a low life as Reynolds is, his words can really sober you and shake you to your core. See, it's no secret we live in a society that is slowly but surely softening men. It's not a desire of the powers that be, nor is it a feeble attempt. It is just reality. It was just a generation ago when men stared at each other on boats before jumping into the waters to storm a Nazi army on the beaches of Normandy. And today we live in a safe space obsession, canceling anything that might offend, getting into Twitter battles with little keyboard courage. And as a result, this reality has frustrated many of us because it's our design. God designed us. It is our instincts to live as a potential threat, to threaten that which threatens those we love. But like it or not, there is an agenda to soften you, to eliminate the threat that you can or could pose. And this is not just a feeling. This is not a fire up the choir moment for me, nor is this a politic the feeling of weakening as men has actually been studied. The National Institute of Health has found that testosterone levels in men has significantly dropped in the last 50 years. Alarmingly, the rate has severely dropped in the last 30 years. Men on average have far, far, far less testosterone today. It's just a simple fact. How? Well, some attribute this to diets. Red meat has been substituted with soy, dropping testosterone levels, therefore slowing the drive of men. That's a contributing factor. Others point to how we have politicized men's health. I don't know how it works, but eating meat and lifting weights, something that men have done for millennia, meat and lifting has now become like almost a political position. Again, I, I don't get it, but if you eat meat and lift, you have a higher chance of being a conservative. So to eat steak... This is, this is for real. <laughs> to eat steak and hit the gym, to many men, stinks of a political position. And so some have attributed the loss of testosterone to that. Others have attributed the loss of testosterone to messages in our society. We've eliminated competition, participation trophies, and we downplay competition. The more competition we eliminate, the less testosterone men's bodies produce. Regardless of the contributing factors, and I think there are many, the fact remains, men are slowing down. Men are stepping back. Men are softening. Men are weakening. Men have less channeled passion 
and scientifically they have less testosterone. We are more overweight, we are less active, and we are living in more frustration than ever before. And so you must forgive me, it may sound silly, but what I, and what I'm about to say might be cringy, it might feel over the top stereotypical, but I just want you to go with me for a second, this is this morning's topic. God designed you to be a monster. I heard, I heard Jordan Peterson use this term monster in regards to men, and I don't know if you've seen that video at all, it's a viral video telling young guys you gotta be a monster, it's a great video, you should watch it, not now because Jordan Peterson is far smarter than I am and you just wanna listen to him, you can listen later. But I first heard him say this on a podcast, like, guys, you must be a monster. I'm listening to that, and I thought, okay, well, that's a little over the top, like, monster, come on, like, rah, 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 be a monster. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, no, actually, you could build a great biblical case for God creating men to be threats, to be monsters. Because what is a monster? Monster's a creature to be feared, a potential great threat that could do serious damage. It's why in the, in the movies, you have, like, Hunchback of Notre Dame, the, uh, the villagers get together, you know, the pitchforks, it's like that, that classic story, you know, the villagers get together, go kill the monster. They don't want the potential threat near their village. But the monster, though strong and powerful, could have been a strength to them. Same thing can be said of C.S. Lewis's dragon in Narnia, or my goodness, E.T., or even BFG, or Monsters, Inc. I mean, it's just, it's a common literary story. There's a monster, a threatening creature, but often it can turn out to be a major asset to the protagonist. The monster on the good side is a nightmare for the bad side. And so thinking about it in those terms, God absolutely designed men to be monsters. You are not to be harmless. That is not virtuous to be harmless. You're to be a monster, a controlled threat. And a strong biblical case can be made for that. So here's what, here's what I want to do. For the next few minutes, I just want to make a case that you are supposed to be a monster. Biblical case. Weirdest talk ever? Sure. But just go with me for a second. It actually starts on the first few pages of Scripture. I'm going to throw Scripture on the screen, but you can definitely turn there with me in your Bibles if you want. But Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. God is introducing man in Genesis, and he uses very interesting language as he's introducing man. It says, the Lord God took man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. To work it and to keep it. Those are so two verbs, to work it and to keep it. Now, in our English language, that seems like the exact same wording, right? It's kind of like a waste of words because to work it is to keep it. So we're just repeating ourselves here. Not at all. In the original Hebrew, the original Hebrew unlocks so much more to this. Work means to work. Keep is altogether different, though. It's the Hebrew word shemal, which means to protect like a warrior, to guard it. It's actually later on in the Old Testament used for fighting and war. You are to be a warrior for this garden. Now, to me, that's a fascinating thought because this is before the fall. So even before sin, God designed man to be a threat, to protect to shemal, to be ready to fight if necessary. So God's OG design of us is to be a potential threat for that which God has placed under our care. And I think there begs the question, is that you? Are you much of a potential threat? I know we're shooting guns here and throwing axes, that's great, but the bar is far higher than buying a weapon and pulling a trigger. Are you a holistic threat as a man, as a leader, as a follower of Jesus? Are you much of a threat against evil? Are you the Shema that God designed you to be holistically? 
Here's what I mean by holistically. Here's where we can kind of get into some notes. God designed you to be a spiritual monster. The apostle Paul uh, wrote this in Ephesians 6. He writes, for our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the rules of darkness of this world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You are in a spiritual war. And if you don't see it that way, it means you have been losing and losing for some time. And it is time to buck up and see the spiritual fight around you. It's like, all right, Junior, well, how, what does that look like? I'm glad you asked. I'll give you a list. This is not an exhaustive list, but here's a few characteristics of a spiritual monster. They, they worship passionately. Guys, if you're a believer in here, you are to be one of the loudest singers in worship in the weekends in church. And often we're not, and it's a shame. We, we're the lead shamao in the family, yet how can we stand there with our arms crossed mumbling lyrics? How can we do that as spiritual shamas? That's a man who does not realize the spiritual war that he's in. Like men, God has given us height over our ladies and he's given us longer arms and we extend those longer arms to the heavens in a worshipful surrender. We tower over our family in worship. Worship is not feminine. It's not an emotional experience only. It's a battle cry that men take the lead on. And our families need to hear us sing. Our families, our wives, need to see us in surrender. Children need to see their dad belt out their adoration for the God that they serve. There is no excuses. They worship passionately. If anything, because it's commanded in scripture. I really do believe you want to see the health of a church, you just listen to the worship. Are the deep voices loud in worship? Secondly, they serve fiercely. The greatest spiritual shamal, the greatest spiritual monster Jesus himself taught, the greatest among you shall be not your speaker, not, not the band. The greatest among you will be the servant. You are never more of a man than when you sacrifice to serve. You serve humbly, faithfully, passionately. We serve our church and we sacrifice for her just like Jesus. If we live according to our design, we are threats for the kingdom of God, sacrificing for the kingdom of God every single chance we get. And then we go home and we serve our families and lead in strength. They passionately, they also passionately fight temptation, tenaciously fight temptation. This is where the, the rubber meets the road. Personal battles must be taken seriously. Your personal battles that you are ashamed to tell anybody else, they must be taken seriously and fought tenaciously because holiness matters. Jesus said, we only see the world in clarity when we are living in purity, because sin fogs our eyes. What good is a, a, a mainly blind warrior in, in a battlefield, but this is many men. Sin is deadly, it clouds our eyes, and as our eyes are clouded to our sin, the less we actually see our sin and the more it clouds, and it's a deadly spiral. Spiritual monsters tenaciously fight it. Their eyes are on their own sin and they have an all out war against it. Humbly confessing, clean, coming clean and getting help. God designed you to lead. You wanna lead? First lead by fighting your own sin. That's where your leadership starts. Spiritual monster tenaciously fighting my own sin. But we're not just spiritual monsters. To be a holistic monster that God designed you to be, you must be a monster mentally, a mental monster. Do you know that uh, women far surpass men as readers? Women buy and read far, far more books. It shows you how much of an idiot I am for writing a book to men. 
I wrote a book to a gender that rarely reads. A study, a study showed that most men don't read a book after school. Never growing mentally. Not becoming much of a man to depend on when things become confusing. Most men are not mental monsters. And it's not just tragedy, it's sin. This verse was etched on the bricks of the undergrad that I went to, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. I remember walking by this every morning on my way to class. It said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. As the leader of your roof, you are to lead mentally, an intellectual workman correctly handling truth, mental monster. Google should not be your house's go-to. Dad should be. In fact, I'll be candid, maybe more candid than I should be, but this stays here. COVID did a number on, on the church, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking like the church nationally. There's a mix of things, right? Families are navigating COVID, and often there's like just the over-the-top fear response. Uh, families navigating the, the racial tension that was going on during that time, and I realize that there is room in the church for different thoughts on that. I, I understand that. However, many families fell away from the church, dropped out of community, and then blamed the church for this and that, and then embraced toxic ideologies. And though I would never post this, I will say it here, it was a massive failure on many men who did not lead their families. If only they had rightly divided the word of truth and courageously led. Instead, they sat and allowed their families to be poisoned. They themselves were poisoned, and the whole family just drops out of church drops away from the narrow road. Men cannot afford to not be 2 Timothy 2.15. We must be truth monsters. Grace, absolutely. Grace and truth. Leading with grace toward truth. But we are obsessed with what's true. Not necessarily what's nice or what feels good. No, it is what is true. Men must always be growing in our love and knowledge for God's word. Mental monsters. God also designed us to be physical monsters. Biologically, we're bigger than women. We have more muscle, more drive, more testosterone. This is not just for aesthetics. This is by design. This is something to embrace as a man and to craft. If we are to put, as Genesis puts it, a shamal, if we are to be warriors, threats, we are to work to be physically healthy. And I, I'm not gonna get on a soapbox right now, get on like this diet kick or sell a workout plan right now. But I will say, this does matter. We cannot separate our physical from the spiritual. We can't separate that. How we treat our physical bodies is a spiritual practice. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says your body is a temple. It's fluid. You can't separate it. How we treat our bodies, abuse them, it is a spiritual thing. Aside from this, how we treat our bodies actually impacts our families. I found found this uh, just a couple weeks ago. This is wild to me. The National Center for Fathering did a study that showed a father's body actually impacts their children, especially his daughters. So the study showed a father who cares about being active produces more confident daughters. On the flip side, fathers who let themselves go had kids who were less active and more prone to repeat the health cycle. So you just think about that. Children feel more confident with a dad who carries himself like a shamal like a warrior. Now, I'm not saying go be the gym rat, meathead, annoying guy who can't wait to talk about what he squatted the other day. That's annoying. There's a line. There's wisdom in this. But we can't get away from it. How we discipline our bodies has a massive impact on our homes, therefore the world. Not to mention our sex life. 
I've had, I've had, over the years, I've had guys communicate, you know, their frustration to me, like, ah, my wife is just, like, here's the problem with the marriage, like, my wife is never in the mood, can never have sex, and sometimes it's like, but bro, you drink a ton, like, you, you, you can't walk across the house without, like, running out of breath, and, and, like, if you take off your shirt and you look like a rotisserie chicken, like, can you blame her, bro, like, <laughs> come on, like, we, we gotta have some self-awareness here. I, listen, I remember realizing this about myself a few years ago, I, so I got away with Nicole, like we went, had a weekend. It's like, hey, I'm going to put on the moves. And right before I was going to put on the moves, I saw myself in the mirror and I thought, I can't expect her to get into this. Like, <laughs> and it, it sent me on a journey. So I'm not, listen, I'm not body shaming. I'm, I'm merely saying how we treat our bodies, it impacts our marriage greatly. It impacts our children, it impacts the world, it impacts our leadership. This is a biblical thing. Part of being the Shema that God created you to be is to care about your body, the body that God gave you. Work out, eat right, lift weights, drink water, have some endurance, stretch the limits, and live long. Aim to live long so you can impact generations. Be a physical monster. Don't tout, don't brag, don't be a meathead. Walk softly, but be a potential threat physically. And finally, friend monster is number four. I'm not, listen, I'm not going to go on a rant on how men should have friends. I think those of us who are married or wives probably do that enough. You know, you should have friends. Maybe you're forced here into the, after one of those lectures, you know, go to man camp, you need friends. <laughs> and I don't disagree. Like, you should, we should have friends, godly friends who push you to be more like Jesus. If you don't have those friends, you're wasting your life. Get more into church and into community and find those friends. But I want to take this to a different angle. Uh, one of my favorite stories in, in scripture is this obscure story about John, Jonathan, King, King David's best friend, King Saul's son, is Jonathan and his, his armor bearer. It's a beautiful story. The, the story goes that Jonathan is making a tactical move on the enemy, scouting out the, the Philistines. He and his armor bearer, just the two of them, are sitting between two rock cliffs. The two of them are scoping out an enemy outpost, a Philistine outpost. It's just him and his buddy looking at 20-some Philistines. Jonathan looks at his comrade and says, it's just the two of us. What do you say we go for it? Jonathan's man looks at him and says, one of my favorite lines in all scripture, it says, I'm with you heart and soul. Seven words that cut to a man's heart. To have a friend staring at what could be certain death say to you, I'm with you heart and soul, let's go. That's a monster of a friend. I got your back. Screw whether this is a losing battle. I'll fight with you. I'll fight for you. You're not going to go without me. Today, that is a rare man. But a friend like that is precious. Are you that? Are you a man who has the back of others? Here's the way to tell that. When someone comes to you complaining about your boss or your coworker, or your pastor, or your friend, do you validate that complainer? No, hey, I get it. You should go talk to them just folding like a cheap suit and cowering to negativity? Or are you a man who lives as a man who other men would go into battle with? Would other men go to battle with you? See, in my own head, and I think most guys think this way without realizing it, but in my own head, there are three levels of friends that every man has. Three levels of friends. The first level of friend or group of friends, the largest group, we'll call them the acquaintance friends. These are the guys who you hang with when your paths cross. And they could be the best of guys, but for whatever reason, you just don't really hang that much, only when you run into each other. You know, you see each other at like a sporting event or maybe up here at camp, or maybe your wife set up a double date and your paths cross. And there's nothing wrong with these guys. They're like fun to talk to, they're fun to catch up with, not necessarily deep friends. They're just guys that, you know, it's cool to see them when your paths cross. 
The second level, the second group is a smaller group. We'll call them the fireside friends. These are the guys that you frequently text. If you're having a fire, we'll invite them over. Watch the game with them. You go golfing, have a cigar with them. They're they're good friends. We, We know more about them. We might even go on vacation with them. But then there's the smallest group of friends. And for many men, they have nobody in this group. But the smallest group of friends are what we will call the war friends or the battle friends. These are the I'm with you heart and soul friends. These are the friends that are, that are also at the fires, watching games, all that, but they're the guys that you would go to war with. And you know they're the guys that you would go to war with because they'll battle you if you need it. If you mess up, they're gonna come to you. They will battle you, but they'll also battle for you. If somebody is gossiping about you, you think, I hope my war friends are there because they will, they will shut it down. War friends are precious. They are rare finds something we all want. And often when we talk about this, we kind of think like, oh, I'd love to have some battle friends. I think more importantly, the bigger question that we should think of is, am I a war friend? Am I one? Like I, if I'm not one, I don't know if I deserve them. So first let's be one. That friend monster. The most vulnerable man is the man by himself. And to be a Shemao, you must fight for what's right, having each other's back and eating that cost when it comes. Are you a monster? I'm gonna invite the, the band to, to come up here All right now. I'm, I'm just gonna finish up in just one second and then we're gonna raise our hands in worship. But I just wanna say, I, I get it. I, I know this is like the most stereotypical man talk ever. Maybe this is like borderline cringe in today's emasculated world. I understand that. But here's the thing. I think the enemy has done a brilliant job convincing us to step back. There's no battle. Step back. We were designed to be threats to the enemy, yet the enemy has convinced us there's nothing to fight. As such, most men have taken residence on their couch. Just calm down, relax. There's no war. And if there is a war to be fought, we'll just fight it online. There's no war. It's one of our world's greatest lies. No war. And even if that were true, I love what Musashi wrote. He wrote, I'd rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Too many of us are gardeners in a war. Either weak, emasculated soy boys or overweight couch potatoes convinced life is a garden and no need of God-given testosterone. Now, we're in an all-out war and the attacks are relentless. The enemy wants nothing more than to stop your worship, pollute your marriage, stain your purity, poison your kids, darken your mind, turn you from the kingdom. And that is happening little by little, those attacks every single day. You are in a war zone and the days you don't realize it, you lose. Don't take the bait to aimlessly piss away your life as a non-threatening gardener on a battlefield. No more slouching back, worship loud. Obsessively love the church like Jesus does. Get your family there. Be loyal to her. Serve ferociously. Show the next generation how to worship. Be a monster. Be someone to be feared. Lead your family. Have a fun marriage. Raise freaking lions who will keep your last name as something to be feared. Make the enemy's life hell. If you're married, have sex with your wife. Aim your drive fully at her and her only and nothing else, nobody else. Fight temptation with all you got. 
Each fight is worth it. As the old hymn says, each victory will help you some other to win. Fight valiantly onward. Dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus. Be a monster. Someone to be feared. Get up way before everybody else. Wrestle with God's word. Surrender your passions in prayer. Be a monster. Go lift heavy things until you can't lift them anymore. Exhaust yourself before breakfast. By the time your roof awakens, your roof will take comfort in knowing the home warrior has already met with the creator and readied himself for today's battles. Be a monster, someone to be feared, not because you're special, because we're not. We do this because this is how God designed us. Stop letting the enemy slow us down. Let's do what Jesus told us to do. Deny ourselves daily. Pick up our cross. We discipline ourselves. We do what we don't feel like doing. We get up, we step up, we lead out, we be a freaking monster, someone to be feared. Be a man other men would want to follow into battle. Like, fellas, the war's already won on the cross. The war's won. So go passionately fight your daily battles. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, will not ever overcome. And when that true light comes and the trumpet of heaven sounds, let's fight in such a way that when we stand before Jesus, we'll be able to look him in the eye. And if you're in, come hell or high water. I'm with you, heart and soul, gentlemen. Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.